Jesus, open up these words to us that we could better understand your love and that by understanding it, we would be transformed and that our world would be transformed around us as a result. We love you and thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Jesse Rice. I'm part of the staff here at Bell Prez, and it's good to be with you. And this morning, we are finishing up a teaching series uh, that we've been talking about, about the life of Peter. And uh, it's, a pretty, it's been this amazing series that we've called Rocky Road because Peter's life was so full of ups and downs, just like our lives are so full of ups and downs. Uh, in fact, this is one of the reasons why so many of us can relate to Peter so well, why so many of us have identified with his story. Because our lives have looked a lot like his. And as we look at Peter's life story, it's kind of like looking in a mirror. And in so doing, discovering more about ourselves. Discovering more about who God is. Now, I had the privilege of opening this series on Peter way back at the end of April. And um, if you remember back then, Peter had been fishing all night and he hadn't caught anything. Remember, Peter is a fisherman and a really bad one, right? So he consistently doesn't seem to catch anything. But Jesus shows up on the scene after a long night of not catching any fish, and he basically invites Peter, after creating this miraculous catch of fish, to come follow him, join him in what he's doing. In fact, Peter, I'm going to make you the foundation of this thing called the church that I'm going to build. What we're going to find today is that Peter's invitation to follow Jesus is bookended by the story we're looking at this morning. Book ended by this story that has very similar features as the original story, the story of Peter's calling. This one, the renewal of Peter, gives us a glimpse into the very heart of God, the very heart of God. And I hope that you will be encouraged this morning as God reminds you that he wants to meet you very specifically just where you're at to do some healing, transformative work. Well, between these two bookends, we've learned a lot about Peter. We've learned a lot about God, about ourselves. For me, during these two bookends, I've been in a season of transition. And after two years of serving in the Youth and Family Ministries Department, I'm switching roles and will be uh, focusing more on uh, ministry with adults and that kind of, you know, those kind of people, um, <laughs> whatever they're like. Uh, I'm excited about this. And two recent experiences kind of solidified this for me. Um, recently, when I was preaching afterwards, a couple came up to me, and they wanted prayer for their marriage, and they just valued so much their courage and their honesty in coming and saying, we're married, but we don't know how we're going to stay married. Would you pray with us? Something inside me just lights up and getting to be in that space with people. I was kind of made for that sort of stuff, so that was a great privilege, and I admired them so much for that, but that was kind of a pointer to me, like, huh, something to pay attention to here. Another experience was the recent men's retreat where I got to be a speaker along with Scott Dudley. He didn't do that much speaking. I did most of it, but <laughs> don't tell myself that, Christine. But um, uh, we were speaking together, and what was fun about that was getting to create a safe space where men could be honest about their need for God and their need for each other. And I was reminded I love helping create safe spaces where people can connect to one another and be transformed in the process. So that's a lot of what I'm going to be doing going forward. I'm going to be working with a number of different people who that is their, their passion and their role to help First Press Bellevue, kind of this big, daunting, hard-to-find-your-way-around church, become a warmer place, become a place where we can connect and be transformed in the process. I've been so thankful to be part of the youth ministry 
I'm so thankful to you students who have allowed me into your lives, and I'm excited that we, can, can, we get to continue those relationships uh, as we move forward, because I'll still be around. Um, incidentally, the, the title I have for this role is the Pastoral Associate of First Impressions and Communities, <laughs> which means I'm going to need a bigger business card, and it kind of sounds like I'm starting an online dating service, <laughs> which I totally am. Um, back to Peter. Really? Where can I sign up? Well, back to Peter and the second encounter that he has with Jesus on the shore of Galilee. Remember what has happened here. Let me give you some kind of context to get into this. Jesus has been crucified and has been resurrected. He has appeared to his disciples and some other folks already a couple of times. And this is Jesus' third appearance, according to the Gospel of John. Now, there's something very special about this third appearance where Jesus encounters Peter on the shore. There's something very special about it for Peter, and there's something very special about it for us. Because Jesus' third appearance was not just meant to prove that he's alive, that he's risen. Uh, This was more than that. This third appearance was a very personal message just for Peter. Delivered in person by Jesus himself. And Jesus' message to Peter is essentially this. And I I want you to hear this this morning. Because it's also the message for you. Remember, Peter, I am for you. I'm not against you. I've got great plans for you. I'm for you. I'm for you. I know all the circumstances suggest otherwise that I might be against you, but I'm not. I'm for you. And in fact, I have great plans for you as I promised you as I'm going to fulfill. That's where Jesus is at. Where's Peter at when we find him here? When we find Peter in this story, Peter was likely feeling pretty defeated, pretty discouraged. Remember, he had abandoned Jesus, his best friend, just when Jesus needed him most. He denied him three times after squaring that even all these other boneheads leave you. Not me, Jesus. Not me. I will never do that. And then he goes and denies Jesus three times. So you can imagine, he's just, ah, his world is blown apart. Everything he's dreamed about, everything he's worked for is gone. I wonder if he even felt like it was his fault. Like if only I had stood up for Jesus, maybe things could have turned out differently. Maybe some of you are in that space right now. If only I had done this instead of that, this wouldn't be my reality. Well, Jesus meets him right in this space. What does Peter do? He's broken. He's confused. His world has fallen apart. What does he do? He does the same thing we do. He goes back to things he, think he, can, he thinks he can control. When life falls apart, we fall back on the things that we think we can control. That's kind of how we operate. When relationships get scary, when intimacy is too hard, we might turn to pornography, something we can control. When the future gets too scary, we might work harder, try to make more money, try to get our ducks in a row, try to get some control over our future that way. That's what Peter's doing here. He goes back to what he knows he can control, which is fishing. And then he fishes all night, and he doesn't catch anything. Imagine that. Everything that he thinks he can control, okay, I'll just get back to this. I don't know what else is going on, but I know this works for me. It can kind of numb the pain. It can keep me going. But then that falls apart too. Now what? Going back to what we know can work for a while, but it always leaves us more empty in the end. In other words, when we ditch mystery for mastery, we end up in misery. And you can tweet that. (laughs) Christina. 
That's totally tweetable. For us, at these kinds of moments, these, these kind of moments when we're in that space and life is falling apart, how is this ever, ever going to be better? And some of you are right there, right now. For us, these moments are desperate and dark and hopeless and meaningless. For Jesus, these moments are some of his best ways of working. These are some of Jesus' best moments and how he works. Nevertheless, when we're in those places, we want comfort. We want the pain numbed, right? If I had a tumor, a hug would be great. But really, I would need some skillful surgery. Fortunately for us, God, who knows that we want comfort, who knows that life is hard, who knows this by experience in Jesus, comes to us and says, I've got more for you than just pain relief. I've got healing. That's what Peter is about to find here this morning. This skillful surgery that sees exactly where he's wounded and cuts that part of him out that he could be healed. So I just want to make four quick observations that we see here in this story that I think has great implications for us and where we're at right now. The first is this. Peter's renewal is custom made for him. You remember, it sort of echoes his call on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. There's been this night of fishing, working hard, but no fish. Then this guy, Jesus, shows up, and there's this miraculous catch of fish, so much so that they've got to get everybody to help drag this stuff in. Custom made for where Peter's at. Jesus found Peter fishing. Jesus finds Peter again fishing. Then he asks him these three questions. uh, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, this little exchange is custom made just for Peter. Because these three questions match those three denials. And he knows that with each of those three questions, he cuts deeper and deeper and deeper until he finally gets to what's really this core issue with Peter. And then he removes that. And so takes away his shame and the guilt and the uncertainty that he must have been feeling at this point. Very often the pain that we are experiencing, even that pain right now that we are wishing would go away, very often that's the stuff that God uses. Not only to get our attention, but to actually shape us and bring healing. That's good news for us. I don't know if God is causing this pain. I don't believe that he does. I think most of the pain I experience, to be honest, is self-inflicted through my own selfishness, through my insecurities, through all these different things. Mainly, the stuff that I'm hurting about is, is because of me. But I do know this, that this Jesus has promised that he is working all these things together for our good. This pain, the stuff that doesn't make sense, the stuff that we're good at, the stuff that we fail at, he's using all of that stuff. He's using all of that stuff right in this moment, that stuff that's heavy on your heart, heavy on your mind. In other words, there is no such thing as a meaningless tear. With Jesus, every tear is redeemed. Maybe not in this moment, certainly not as quick as we would like it to be. But Jesus promised to us is that it will be redeemed. His renewal work is custom made for you right in the middle of your circumstances. That's the first observation. The second observation is this. Peter's renewal necessitates Peter's honesty. This was demonstrated to us just now with Kevin and the motor oil. From just a few minutes ago. Did you guys? You cut that, right? Okay. 
Peter's, Peter's <laughs> renewal necessitates his honesty. His honesty with Jesus is key to his renewal. Jesus asked that great question of Peter, do you love me? He asks it three times as a way of intentionally reminding and then healing, removing that poison from Peter's three denials. But how Jesus asked that question and how Peter responds to that question are what make this exchange so beautiful and so potent 2,000 years later. To flesh this out, I want to give you a 90-second language lesson. You ready? 90 seconds. I promise the pain will not last long. Okay? In the original Greek, boring. In the original Greek, there are three words uh, for love. The first is eros, right? Erotic love. Okay? Some of you are just going to like stay there the rest of the service. Now, but there's a couple others. Phileo. That is like that brotherly love. Not just affection, but that warm, like the best moments of family. That don't happen all that often. But those best moments, you know, maybe it's a holiday where something magically you're not fighting and you're just, I'm committed to you, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm part of you. Phileo, that brotherly love. Phileo, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. It's those kind of things. Agape is this third kind, this unconditional. This is who Jesus is. This is who God is. He cannot be other. He is agape love. He is unconditional love. I will never leave you no matter what you do kind of love. Now, prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, like I said, Peter was the guy who swore, Jesus, no matter what, no matter what, unconditionally, I love you. I will follow you even to death. But Peter discovers that he can't even, he can't keep that promise. So Jesus, knowing this, Asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And in the Greek, here's what it says. Peter, do you agape me? And here's how Peter responds. Jesus, you know I love you. Jesus, you know I phileo you. Peter, do you agape me? Do you unconditionally love no matter what, unreservedly, till death do we part? Is that kind of the love you're talking about? And Peter's really, really honest. Kind of like he's thinking back on his life and going, you know, before... Jesus, yeah, I would have said, absolutely. But look what I did. Look at the choices I've made. Look at, what, look at this mess. If I'm being honest, I love you and I would love to love you that way, but I only can phileo you. I can only have this brotherly love toward you. Jesus asked that question a second time. Peter answers the same way. Peter, do you agape me? Jesus, I phileo you. Finally, Jesus asked that question a third time, and this is so beautiful. And Jesus is so smart. And Jesus is so amazing here because we see that Jesus changes the question in order to meet Peter where he's at. When he says, Peter, do you love me for a third time? He says, Peter, okay, do you phileo me? In the Greek, he changes that word so that he matches where Peter's at. Peter is being brutally honest. Jesus, I would love to be there. Here's where I'm actually at. So Jesus goes, okay, is that where you're at? That's where I'm at, Jesus. Beautiful, amazing. Jesus meets Peter right where he's at. Jesus meets us right where we're at. And that honesty, Jesus saves, his, saves us by his grace. He saves us by his grace. There's nothing we've got to do for it, but he has made our growing intimacy with him contingent upon honesty. 
He wants to relate to us authentically. And that's what's so beautiful here about how Peter responds and so beautiful about how Jesus responds. God wants our honesty. God wants our honesty. And his renewing power in our lives depends on that honesty. It's about God. It's for God. He has made it dependent on our honesty as well. In fact, you have full permission if you want to take the rest of this sermon to just stop and be honest with God. You can just kind of tune out and go, God, I don't even feel you. I haven't thought of you in a long time. If I'm being honest, I don't even know if you exist or I'm angry at you because these things have not worked out the way I wanted them to. Or I'm confused. Why? Why would you do this? You get full permission because honesty opens the door for Jesus to come in and make us new. That's the second observation. Here's the third one. Peter's renewal is initiated and carried out by Jesus. It's initiated and it's carried out by Jesus. It's Jesus who is waiting for Peter on the beach. It is Jesus who cooks up breakfast for Peter and the other disciples. It's Jesus who initiates this conversation with Peter that is custom made for Peter. It is Jesus who renews, restores, reinstates Peter, and it is Jesus who will ensure in the end that Peter really is this foundation for this church that Jesus is building. Peter's encounter with Jesus on the beach foreshadows something that his peer, the Apostle Paul, will write a little bit later to the Philippians. When he tells them he's confident of this, he's confident of this, that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the one who initiates. Jesus is the one who carries it. Jesus is the one who completes it. Absolutely, we have a role. God has made you very special, very uniquely, with certain talents, gifts, experiences, desires, so that we participate with him in his world-saving project. Nevertheless, we wouldn't even have a desire for him if it were not for him. Jesus initiates, he carries it, carries it with us, and he promises to complete it. And what's cool about this is after this three-part exchange, uh, Jesus is describing to Peter what kind of death he's going to experience, which seems a little morbid to me, to be honest, right? Peter, uh, Jesus comes and he makes this delicious breakfast of fish and bread, and then he and Peter have this little exchange, and then afterwards he's like, and you're going to die this horrible death, and more fish? <laughs> It seems a little strange, but here's what Jesus is up to in this space. He's saying, Peter, I know that more than anything in your life, and this has been true in our whole relationship, more than anything, you desire to live for me. You desire to give your whole life to me and to what I'm doing. You, you, you desire that you would even die for me. Up until now, you haven't been able to pull that off. You said you could. You couldn't. Of course you couldn't. I didn't need you to do that without me. But because of me in your life now, I am going to fulfill those greatest desires in your heart as we journey together, as I shape you more and more into this person on whom I'm going to build this church. It's Jesus who begins it. Jesus who carries it. Jesus who completes it. This is true for us. Even us type A's, hardworking perfectionists, which there are a handful of in this room. That's sarcasm again. There's a lot of us. We're trying so hard to get life right. And Jesus says, I, I love that. 
But here's the deal. The life that you're really after, it's in partnership with me. So what's so cool is Scott Dudley talked about just a few weeks ago when we were celebrating Pentecost and the Spirit coming and this power being poured out. And Peter, this fisherman who had just been lost, is now restored and he stands up and he speaks the truth of the good news that's happening right now. And then 3,000 people are added to this movement that day. Woo. That's what happens. That's what comes as Jesus initiates, as Jesus redeems. Now, it wasn't just like Peter, you know, went away for like a weekend at the spa and was transformed and came back and he's super Peter, right? His transformation is ongoing and it's very public and this is true for us too. That we are being renewed slowly, painfully, publicly. We wish we could hide some of our stuff. The best thing is to not. And Jesus does that intentionally because our healing is about to become healing for others. Which leads me to this fourth point. That Peter's renewal is not just for his sake, but it is also for the sake of others, right? It's done publicly so that these disciples will also see this. It's done publicly because, again, Jesus is establishing his church with Peter, and 2,000 years later, we're kind of the result of that. That's big. Jesus is doing this. He is bringing healing to us but not just for us. And this is how it's been with God and his people all along. God blesses us in order to make us a blessing. God brings healing and wholeness to us in order that we may bring healing and wholeness to others. It's always yes and. There's no such thing as just an individual relationship with Jesus. There's always, always the context of this corporate relationship with Jesus that we also have. And this is how Jesus loves to work. Let me close with this. Back in the mid-80s, uh, admirers of the Sistine Chapel wondered if Michelangelo had been depressed when he painstakingly created that incredible work of art on the ceiling that I have not gone to see. And if you're going this summer, I would be glad to go with you. <laughs> Why, they wondered, had he used such dull colors to express some of the greatest accomplishments of God, some of the greatest events in human history. Then a team doing some repair work noticed that while working on the ceiling and scraping just a little bit away, that actually there were these bright, bold, amazing colors underneath all these layers of grime. Historians and art experts were kind of back on their heels. They had totally had to rethink what they thought about Michelangelo. And visitors of today's Sistine Chapel, as some of you guys know, get to once again experience the boldness and the beauty that Michelangelo had always intended for them to see, for them to experience. Are you tracking with the metaphor? Yeah. Our lives easily get covered up in this grime, right? And it's interesting that the grime in the Sistine Chapel, a lot of it was from the burning of candles. It's through the spiritual stuff that we do. Some of the religious stuff we do actually adds that layer of grime. And Jesus comes and painstakingly and gently but thoroughly comes and removes those layers of grime in order that those bold, bright colors of who he originally intended us to be are revealed. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of a world that would witness that and go, there is something about that God that I can't resist. This morning is another chance for us to be reminded of this, to be renewed by intimate encounter 
with Jesus. We do this through being honest with him. We do this by remembering it's, it's his work in us, not us having to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And it's certainly for us, but it's so that the world might become new again through us. So would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that uh, you don't just let the grime continue to gather. You say, no, that's, that's not how I made you. I made you to shine. And this morning, Lord, we, many of us need reminding that we are made to shine and that we actually have that kind of beauty in us that you put in us. And so would you connect us to the people or the resources or the images or the experiences that would continue to remove that grime? And as that happens, God, would you make us individually followers of you, but would you all the more shape us as a body, as a together people in your image, that the world may be new. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.